After a chance meeting in 2003, Serena Dugan and Lily Cantor came together to create Serena and Lily, one of the largest e-commerce home furnishing stores and coastal lifestyle brands. In this podcast, Serena and Lily share their inside journey of what it took to make the leap into partnership, entrepreneurship, and being kick-ass women, both professionally and personally, all the while still valuing a work-life balance. Their passion, warmth, and go big or go home mentality is so inspiring. They'll share with you their key tenets of entrepreneurship and how to bring them into all aspects of your life. They also talk about their why for creating their company, which provided the compass for making all their big decisions, including how to grow their business, what products to create, who to hire, and when it was ultimately time to move on. Whether you have launched a business or are at the brink of something new, this podcast will inspire you to think about your why and help you bring your inner entrepreneur to life. This is just such an honor. We, we have been so excited for this podcast. Cannot wait to hear your story. And um, I think we'd love to start with just hearing how did you two meet and how did you know that you wanted to be business partners? So maybe you could take us back in time for a minute and tell us how the story began. Okay. So I left a corporate career at Microsoft after 17 years of doing technology and accounting. I got pregnant with my first baby and I decided to open a baby and kid store and stroll my baby into downtown Mill Valley and get a coffee and just, you know, get into baby home decor. What I wanted for my nursery did not exist. And I thought, okay, I'll just create a store. In comes Serena Dugan, exactly on the date of October 2nd, 2003. I, why do I know this date? I was having a baby that day at the hospital. Wow. Yeah. And, and Serena left her gorgeous portfolio. She was really trying to drum up business for her decorative painting, freelance projects she was doing, and she left this gorgeous portfolio. My store manager said, oh my God, Lily's going to love your work. She's having a baby today. Well, the baby was like 20 hours old. I went by the store to kill some time because my two-year-old needed to get into a nap before bringing home a brand new baby. And so I was doing show and tell and my manager handed me Serena's gorgeous portfolio. So I literally picked up my cell phone and called her. I think my baby was 20 hours old. And I, <laughs> oh my gosh. I go, hi, you stopped by my store yesterday. I really love your portfolio. And Serena's like, are you the person that was having the baby yesterday? And I'm like, yeah, when are we going to meet? <laughs> Basically, we, we got together a week later and I think the first thing she took me through, Serena took me through her decorative painting. I said, oh my God, I love your decorative painting. Let's paint that entire wall into four different rooms and I'll put your cards out and we'll share in, in the revenue of that. And so, okay. And then she opened her next portfolio and she had amazing kids artwork. And I said, oh my God, I love your kids artwork. I have a Giclée art business. Let's do some girl artwork together. Okay. Now we're like an hour and a half and, and now she's showing me her textiles and I'm like, Oh my God, your textiles are gorgeous. Why don't we do some baby bedding together? Because there's no great be baby bedding. Of the market. So wow. Now we, now we one business, but three. three businesses in the course of one meeting. It's, it's true. Yes. Oh my, it's true story, right? Serena? True story. hundred percent. And then Serena walked out of the store and then what happened? You called 
yeah, I we I walked out of the store, did not know what hit me. I called my then husband and said, I think something important just happened. <laughs> and that is that is truly the way it went down. It was yeah. on that day, not to hijack Lily's telling of the conversation, but she said she had ideas. And said, you know, this is what I can do. This is what you can do. Let's partner. And that was it. Off off we went. Wow. So we literally partnered that day. Serena brought back the most disruptive vision of the baby nursery. I could not. It was six weeks later after this baby was born. She brings me these design boards. And I can't wrap my brain around them because they're so out of the box thinking. And I got my one and only migraine I've ever had in my lifetime trying to wrap my brain around what she's trying to like describe to me and show to me on these boards. But like, I just believed in it. It was so different. It was so out there. It was this sophisticated nursery. You know, I said, let's go to Atlanta and let's check out what's on the market and let's get this ball rolling basically. And, you know, Serena and I both have this personality of go big or go home. So we just kind of went with it. And we just started like printing fabrics and cutting and sewing fabrics and finding the resources and putting it together. And we put together this photo shoot and Serena had amazing resources from her other projects that she had been working on. She had wonderful stylists, wonderful photographers, wonderful creative talent that could put our first catalog together. So we met in October of 03. And I'd say by, by Memorial Day weekend of 04, we've known each other now for all of eight months, we shipped out to 400 baby and kids stores, our first collection. Baby Zeke, who was born on October 2nd, 2003, was our cover child, cover baby of that catalog. And we shipped it out. Happens to be that weekend that Wendy Bellissimo, one of the only baby bedding in the industry, pulled out of the business and sold her brand to Babies Are Us. And so she left these 400 independent baby and kids stores high and dry with nothing to sell and in walks Serena and Lily. I'm not even kidding. Like the weekend we sent this catalog to 400 stores, she faxed down her entire customer database saying, thank you for all the years of your business. I've decided to sell my brand. I mean, she had four kids at the time and in walks Serena and Lily. So we basically took that channel overnight which was pretty exciting because we had like a hundred orders sitting on our fax machine. We're talking fax machines back then. (laughs) Talk about divine timing. I mean, yeah, no, it was was. just divine. It was divine timing. And then um, from there, we just kept putting one foot in front of the other. And within very short period of time, we were able to get Jen Garner's nursery, which really catapulted kind of our media coverage of being this baby designers to the stars Um, And so off we went. Lily and I, I think we identified in one, one another, the same kind of crazy ass gene that was willing to embark on a tempting adventure. So we did not partner because we had a business plan and we really completed the picture, but we sensed in one another an ability to compliment and a very similar drive and can-do attitude. And we just had this, there was a spirit and there was an energy where we just felt like 
you know, let's jump in, let's figure it out. Let's have, let's take this adventure. And so it wasn't particularly well thought out. We didn't know what we were doing. If we had, if it had been well thought out and we knew what we were doing, then we never would have done it. Oh my God. That's so interesting. Cause one of the things I noticed is, but when you both said go big or go home, we noticed we both had that mentality. Do you think you have to have the go big or go home mentality to start a business? Do you have to have that ability? Is that a core tenet, would you say, of being an entrepreneur? I think that entrepreneurs come in every shape and size. They have different motivations for doing what they want to do. Our motivation was not the revenue opportunity. Our motivation was the excitement about saying something new. Mm. And I don't think that is necessarily part and parcel to entrepreneurship, but it was important to our brand of entrepreneurship. It was important to us being good partners for one another because we were in it for similar reasons. Lily, where do you stand on the question? Yeah, I think Serena's right. I think it comes in different, you know, motivations. And I really think the core element is optimism and perseverance. I think that you just um, have to have that grit as an entrepreneur to really take a lot of challenges and adversity. When this business was this big, you know, tiny, tiny, we, we really honestly felt like we were going to be like Ralph Lauren one day. (laughs) Well, you know, we, we did not identify with being a baby brand. We (laughs) felt that we were a design brand that started our business in the nursery space. We felt that we were a home brand and we happened to walk in the door of nursery, but that was only a piece of what I know I had to say. And so, you know, Lily and I didn't necessarily pre-plan the breadth of the company. We didn't say this is how we're going to grow and these are the categories and this is the trajectory. We simply kind of gave one another permission to go as big as it wanted to be. We started in the category of nursery because there was something new that really was ready to be said very clearly. And that really dictated our our path. But I never felt like a baby company. It just ha- We just happened to be known that way to yeah. others. I would say one of the core things is just flat out chutzpah. You know, because like I remember when we did our kids betting, which was two years after we launched baby and we're now talking late 2007 when we introduced our first collection of kids betting early 2008. And, you know, Serena and I get wind of like the designer that's doing the Obama girls rooms in the White House. And we don't pick up the phone and call Michael Smith. We actually board an airplane and we go we go to Los Angeles and we walk into his office unannounced on no meeting we're here we've brought our swatches and we'd really like to be considered for the Obama girls rooms right and we leave everything and so we got that betting project that's amazing Serena and I were so excited about that we're just like oh my God, well, we'll just donate it to them. And they're like, no, they're, they're not allowed to do that. They, they have to send you a check. And so we get a check from the Parks and Recreation, the National Parks and Recreation. And I just like, these are the funniest stories, but that is just flat out chutzpah. 
Yeah. It's like you didn't have a business plan. You didn't have all these, you know, strategies and channels and all that figured out. It sounds like you both had an incredible passion. You had a vision. You knew you wanted to do something big and bold. And you knew you had a message you wanted to get out there. And you sounds like you trusted that, like, we'll figure all the, the rational pieces out as we go along. And also what I noticed is, do you guys think having a partner is so important? Like, if you weren't together, would you have individually boarded that airplane and walked into his office? There's something, is there something about firing each other up and saying, let's freaking go for it that's powerful between you two? Yeah, I, I don't think that um, you kind of have to share that journey with, uh, with someone else very clearly in order to respond to everything that was happening. And there were so many decisions that had to be made constantly on a daily basis. And so that responsivity and the dialogue between us, it was constant and it really fed our enthusiasm because we had a mirror to what was going on yeah, and, and a magnifier. What else? Because Johanna and I are business partners and, and, you know, so many people out there are partnering and, you know, what, can you talk more about what else are some of the key ingredients to a successful partnership? Because it sounds like you actually each have very different backgrounds and I don't know if you're wired real differently or more similarly, but what else does it take to have a really successful partnership? I think the key ingredient is very clear domains that are complementary. I think that that's also the truth for marriage. You know, like I think domain is really crucial because it's, we didn't really have a lot of overlap per se. It was very clear and distinct in terms of what we brought to the equation. And it was complementary, yet it was very different. And I think that's a really crucial ingredient with partners and understanding where those boundaries are and respecting what each one of your partner brings to the equation that makes it whole. I think if you had two CEOs that came out of business school in a design-driven type of lifestyle brand, I think that's where Serena and I were really complimentary and, you know, overly communicative. It's not to say we didn't have our challenges throughout the many years of running the company, but just clear lines of communication and yeah, deep respect. Yeah. I was going to say that that is what I would add is that there was not only were there clear domains, but there was absolute respect of one another's capacity, capability, and talent. And so I always felt appreciated by Lily. And I think she always knew that I couldn't get close to what she was doing with a 10 foot pole and, and do it well. And so there was such respect and really a need for one another to pull this whole thing off that we really, it really worked. It's so amazing. You know, Kim and I have been partners. We've been best friends for a long, long time, but we've been partners in work for about six years. And I remember the first time I worked with Kim up in front of a room I'm like, she is so good. I didn't know, but it's really amazing when you're with a partner and you're looking at them going, yeah, that's my partner. (laughs) I respect, you know, it's a neat feeling to have that admiration for each other. Yeah. And so fun to share in all the wins and the challenges, like to have somebody that you can share all of that with and go through it all with. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that we haven't touched on is that, you know, in, in addition to the things that made us different, 
one of the things that really bound us together is we wanted to have fun. Mm. We wanted to have fun with this. We wanted to build a, a family. Lily's laughing because I can only imagine what story is going on in your head right now. But um, we had a blast, and we had there was a lot of hijinks and a lot of hilarity and a lot of good times and a lot of ridiculousness, and it was just a fun adventure. And we really enjoyed taking it with one another. So. If we didn't have that mutual joy for the experience, then I don't know, it, it probably would have been too much for it to have been successful. And that, that comes through in your brand. Don't you think it's actually affected what you've created? Hope so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I mean, so. listen, we, we literally have such fond memories of the people that we worked with for so many years and so many bar cart. We had bar carts all the time in our offices and we had a lot of fun. Parties. Parties. <laughs> but no, we had a lot of fun and we really enjoyed the people that we brought yeah. together on the journey with us. And they did become a family. Serena and I did a reunion about a year ago and it was very special. It was just like there was a really special time in, in the company. And we just loved the people. And I think that's one thing that Serena and I really shared is just the love of our people and our team that we built. And we just nourished it. And I, I really, I think we shared a lot of our feelings around kind of what mattered at the end of the day. Our families, seeing our kids play soccer. We just honored the work-life balance. There, there was just some basic things that we, we had in common. That's huge. When did you guys know that this was getting big? Like, when was that moment that you were like, oh, we're hitting the tipping point here? And what did that feel like as leaders then? What was exciting and what was challenging about that period? I really don't know that there was one single event where I realized, wow, this is growing really fast, but there were moments. And I really try and savor the feeling of each of those small moments, like the first direct-to-consumer catalog was printed, holding that in my hands and you know, feeling the pride of that moment. Also seeing our sign go up on our first store, which our first store was out in the Hamptons. And that was such a, like, to, to see a physical manifestation of everything that I had poured so much of my heart and soul and vision into, and something that our whole team, who I adored and cherished, had contributed to bringing to life. It was just such a, a, a shining moment for me where I could stand back and say, look at what we have done. Mm. And there were many occasions like that, only because I realized that if I didn't freeze the frame and appreciate it, then I would simply continue pushing a boulder up a hill. And the expectations were really high. So after a little while, a big achievement was met by, okay, great, phew, now here's the next milestone that we need to hit. And so I really tried to slow down time and freeze and appreciate these wins that needed to fuel me and feed me so that I could continue to deliver this next round of expectations. So those are two that stand out to me, but there were countless. 
It's amazing to, to pause in every aspect of life and, and, and realize the dream you're in, like, wow, we've done this, and to mark it and to say, this came from hours and days of commitment to each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Johanna, your, your intro describing the brand, I still, every time I interact with the brand and hear people refer to it, it still feels like I am not the person who did that. So I stand back from that and I'm, I'm surprised like, oh, wait, that's us. That's what happened to it. Yeah. That's what we did. High five, Lily. (laughs) (laughs) The baby went off to college. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm very, very proud of its trajectory and its growth and its forward motion. And I have nothing but a sense of awe that this pipe dream that we always felt was more than a pipe dream really has manifested so fully and so beautifully. That's so incredible. We're going to talk in a little bit about what you're each doing next, but I'm curious as you continue to be entrepreneurs and innovate, or you think about other women out there who are wanting to start their own businesses. What advice did you take with you from the Serena and Lily experience? What advice would you give other entrepreneurs in terms of how to really go about building something? I'll say that I think core to entrepreneurship is is your passion and purpose of why you're doing something because it's so painful on many days and the adversity, you know, that you go through is so difficult that unless you're really in it for the purpose of why you're doing it, it'll be hard to stick it out. So that's why I don't really believe in these manufactured kind of business plans. You have to follow your dreams in life. And so I think that's really crucial because when you're doing what you love to do or what you believe in and what really fuels your soul, so to speak, I think you can do the journey of entrepreneurship. And I think that it's no longer a job and it's your passion and your purpose. And I think that's crucial. And take money from aligned investors because lack of alignment with your investors and it's something that's, you know, a, a hard lesson that we learned. We should have never raised money on Sand Hill Road, ever. We were building a heritage lifestyle brand that does not belong on Sand Hill Road with all due respect. You know, we're not software as a service. Had we known what we know today, then we would have looked for a different type of capital. But your capital stack can really destroy your company. And, you know, we took some very painful lessons. And honestly, you know, I had to do a triple gainer and land on our our feet off the balance beam of that. And that was painful. And it took a lot out of me personally. And I'm sure Serena as well. But I think that's probably one of my most painful memories of building Serena and Lily is just not taking capital from the right, right folks. Can I ask you, because that's where I was thinking, you know, like the shadow, the shadow sides that come out of us when we are in it and we, we feel like we've messed up or we've not gone down the right path. Lily, how do you treat yourself when you feel like you've made a mistake or are you really hard on yourself or how do you get yourself out of a dark hole when you feel like it didn't go right or whatever? I'm just curious because I think that we are all so hard on ourselves in different ways. So can you paint the picture of your shadow for us? What does it look like and how do you deal with it? (laughs) For me personally, like, I think success comes from 
being a good person in life. And so as long as you can look at yourself in the mirror and feel good about that, then you can't be hard on yourself about the other parts that, you know, you, you screwed up in, right? And so just honoring your integrity and, and being a good person is about as successful as you would want on your tombstone in life, right? Right. So uh, that's how I justify my idiot moves, right? <laughs> but, you know, we, the thing is, we both signed up for it. We signed up for the learnings. We signed up for the successes. We signed up for the, I should have done it differently. I know next time I will. And I chose the right partner for that adventure. And she chose the right partner. I think what Lily just said is completely true. I think she was just hard on herself enough, but not in any crippling way. I certainly never held it against her. It's like, you know, okay, win some, you lose some. How do we resolve this? How do we keep moving forward? And there was no indictment ever on either side. It was, I think we just kind of rolled with it because we knew at the beginning that we didn't know what we were doing. So, you know, we have far more successes than failures and, you know, still step back and look what we created. So I, I look at the, you know, the sum total and I choose not to get held down by the things that could have been done differently as long as we learn and grow and don't repeat the same mistakes. I I could honestly write a book about all the mistakes we made. It would probably be about 500 pages long. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, You know, somebody wrote an article about, you know, why entrepreneurs can't scale their businesses. And it really relates to the loyalty of their comrades of their early team and, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that inflection point of when you kind of need to upgrade the team because, you know, the people who get you from zero to 50 oftentimes are not the people that get you to 50 to 500. So, you know, I think that entrepreneurs in general are very loyal people to the people who are really there at the beginning. And, and I think it's hard. And our head of people success was just fantastic. And, you know, she used to coach me and say, Lily, you know, you just need to be able to put your hand on your heart when you make decisions. And, you know, to this day, people that we've had to let go along the way, they're still friends of ours, you know? Um, But, you know, the reality is there's different skill sets at different time periods. And, you know, recognizing those and making decisions on team is probably one of the hardest things I had to do building this business. Yeah. What I love so much, though, is you didn't blame each other or indict each other, as Serena said. And that is golden, right? It gives you the space to feel imperfect without being judged too much and to be seen and accepted because we all make mistakes, but not to have that finger wag or why did you, you know, just to be like, all right, what happened? Yeah. And not to put that pressure on yourself either. Cause I think so many people, they beat them. If they don't beat their partner up, they beat themselves up probably even more so. That brings up a quality that I would say is, is vital to successful entrepreneurs. And that is tenacity. And I think that we are both equally tenacious and the enemy of tenacity is blame. And because blame holds you in your tracks and makes you afraid of moving forward. But we kept that obstacle out of the picture. We, we did move fast and there were bound to be mistakes and we were growing fast. We had to keep up with it. And so we did the best we could. 
Did you guys model that behavior to the rest of your team too? Like, if you ever made a hire and they were the blamers or that you did this, were they out? Like, did you know that very clearly that that was the culture you wanted was no blame? I think that we, we modeled that pretty effectively. Yeah. Lily, what would you say? I, I think we did, but I think, you know, in hindsight, one thing I've recognized is depending on where people grew up career-wise, like if they spent so many years inside of a culture like that, that was toxic, they oftentimes couldn't help themselves. They brought it with them. I can think back on on kind of those little organizationally difficult people and, you know, realize that it's part of the culture that they kind of got raised in professionally. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that we were a apolitical organization, completely non-political. And it was really important to us. Uh, Yeah, it was very flat. We tried to keep hierarchy to a minimum. We tended to poo-poo titles and anyone who came in insisting on a certain title, we said they, they're not going to fit in. It was about rolling up your sleeves, committing to a purpose, solving the problems, digging in, making it happen as a team. Yeah. And so the, the people who come in through the larger corporate cultures and bigger organizations really needed the security and the feedback loop that promotion and titles brought. They were a misfit for our organization. So we did end up hiring those people with the understanding that we were building something a very different way. And it was only the people who were rejecting the traditional corporate hierarchy who were attracted or came on and fit in. You know, where I grew up at Microsoft, the bigger the mistake, the bigger promotion you got at Microsoft, Hmm. because the last thing they ever wanted to do was give the competition the, the value of that mistake. And so that was the culture I was raised in. And I, I really tried to communicate that to people, not to hide things, not to cover things up. You know, mistakes are going to happen when you're swinging for the fences but the last thing you want to do, honestly, is is fire somebody for a big fat mistake because they just learned a lot. And now you just <laughs> exactly. like give some, an educated person to your competitor that and now your competitor does not have to learn that lesson the hard way. <laughs> that is so true. I mean, we talk about that so much in our work with teams, right? Like rather than looking at things from the perspective of a success or a failure, look at it as what did we learn from this? And why would you ever want to let go of someone who has this fabulous learn that's only going to then help them turn around and create something really amazing from it, perhaps. So I love it. I mean, it sounds like from the very first day that you met, you you kind of did things your own way, unconventionally, from the way that you built your business to the way that you led your people and grew your business. And that that passion and that purpose was obviously such a, a part of it the whole way through. And so I'm so curious to know kind of fast forward towards later down the road, how did you arrive at the decision that maybe it's time to do something new? Can you talk to us? Because that must have been, I don't know. I mean, that takes so much courage, right? And it's like as important as it is to know why you're doing something, it's also important to know when maybe it's time to do something different. I think that it is critically important for any employee, any founder, any entrepreneur to understand and be really clear with why they do what they do and what they derive from it. 
I had a very clear sense of what made me happy and what was a misfit for me. And I really tried to shape my role and my responsibilities around what worked because if it worked for me, then it worked for the company. And I would say that there came a point where the company reached a a certain size where the priority shifted or the methodology to growth shifted. And they weren't wrong because technically speaking, there is a certain methodology to growth for a company, a retail organization at a certain size. And it became a mismatch to what I wanted. Mm. Simplest answer. I left, I don't know, a year, year and a half, two years before Serena. You know, I got to be perfectly honest, after 12 years, I was thoroughly burnt to a crisp. We had so many major challenges and things we had to overcome. And, you know, Serena and I were a co-led business, which I think is what is honestly the secret sauce behind the brand. I I truly believe this in my heart of hearts. I think having unbridled design talent not be told what to do by the business is what creates a unique brand in the world. And I think that that is truly part of the secret sauce of this brand. It did get to a point where we actually did need a CEO that ran the entire business that actually aligned design and creative with the business goals. And because we got to a certain size, it was time to grow up. But I look at those phases very differently. I think there was design creation period, and then there was scale period. And those two worlds, you know, as Serena described, I mean, they became out of alignment. And I don't know that you can't have one without the other. I I, I really, that's for another you know, offsite. But I do think that most merchandise driven companies are very dictated by the revenue. And, you know, Serena and I had this joke that we knew her favorite item was going to be the worst seller. But honestly, it's Fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Her favorite item was always going to be the worst seller because it, it was so out there and unique. It's what Bergdorf Goodman puts in the window. Right. So, you know, that's the key differentiator in my humble opinion. And, you know, it it literally became a joke that we could do inventory planning based on what, you know, Serena's favorite was. (laughs) That is hilarious. I own that. (laughs) Totally fine. Were you guys sad at all when it ended? Did did, Did you have a period after, you know... It was over that you had like this gap of identity. Like, what do I do next? Was it a, like, what was the period after you left? Like, it, you know, Serena and I were almost like sisters all along, you know, and we always honored the spirit of that, that sisterhood, but it's not to say it didn't come with challenges towards the end. I felt like I was needing to do what I needed to do to scale the business um, and get out of the way. I felt like the useful life of my leadership in, you know, an entrepreneurial type of leader, I'm very self-reflective in terms of where my strengths are, where my weaknesses are. And I felt like it was, I had kind of used up my useful life of what I could bring to this company. And it was time to bring 
in a different type of CEO that was more about scale. And my skill set is starting something from nothing. And it's a totally different skill set. So I think self-awareness of when you're outside of your superpower, it's time to go. And so I, I think that that's what gave this company. And I think it's like anything, when you're raising a child, if you keep micromanaging and helicoptering them all the way through college, like good luck, because at some point you got to empower and you've got to let go and you've got to find, you know, the right baton to hold. But it is difficult and it is painful. And, you know, Serena and I had a very difficult last few months and just going through this transition and it's, it's not easy. How long ago was that? And what have you been doing since? I left in 2016, January. So what are we talking now? Four and a half years, almost five years now. Wow. And I took a year off to decompress and clean out my closets and my doors. <laughs> Just too much junk had accumulated for all those years of raising three children from zero to, you know. So I then decided to really use my superpowers of creating brand and understanding the playbook. I've been disrupting the school fundraising space for the last two and a half years with Boone Supply. I bought the assets of an existing school fundraising company, and I've been building out technology. We have 15,000 schools. We've given back $24 million in the last two and a half years. And now I'm literally creating a marketplace of good conscious brands that are in the space across all categories. And we're also going to be a shop local, support local. So we're really building out a marketplace. We're building out the technology for schools to be able to have a leaderboard and invite teams to compete. And it's all going to be eco and it's all going to be makers fair trade and shop local. So it's like this goodness virtuous circle is what I'm working on. Such a fabulous company. I love it, Lily. Yeah. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Did you need time off to like, was that always sort of in the back of your mind or, or did you need that year off cleaning out your closets, just sort of decompressing to, to arrive at that? I met a woman at the Crown Fellowship Program in 2008 who started, was one of the co-founders of RED with Bono and, and Bobby Shriver. And they raised $240 million for the Global Fund for AIDS in two years. And I thought I was really inspired by her story and, and how capitalism can actually fuel change and how can we use the engine, the powerful engine of capitalism and commerce and shopping to actually give back to really important things like schools and other causes. And so I've always had this in my, you know, mind to want to crack the code on it. And it's been a bit of a slow hunch in terms of how to go about doing it. COVID was a blessing for us in the school fundraising business. We were able to rip the bandaid off and and really go high, you know, go digital. And by doing that, it's going to enable all kinds of things that we're really constrained with, with paper forms. Serena, what about for you? Well, I mean, I would assume that I left in 2017. I can never quite remember, but that sounds right to me. I was a bit after Lily and I was really pulled out of the business by a a growing interest 
and kind of an increasing urge to paint more. I started my career as a painter and I had started painting again for our store installations and it really rekindled something that felt pretty essential for me. And then as I started painting and selling work, I realized this is something that could be somewhat meaningful. And so I, when I left, my intent was to just get back to my roots, go back to the studio, see what else was percolating in there, try and, you know, figure out how you paint for a living or see what comes next. And so I spent the next uh, at least six months occasionally painting and mostly staring at a wall. (laughs) It was an arduous, fantastic, bewildering journey. Those 13 plus years that we had spent. And I was exhausted and with no regrets, but I was exhausted. And so I really spent a few months just kind of getting my bearings again. And thank goodness for the studio, because that was also a very healthy and healing part of recuperating for me. And so just as I figured out how to paint works and work with galleries and sell my work, I then got an itch as I tend (laughs) tend to get. I had more ideas for textiles. And so I had a vision for fabrics and wallpapers and decided, okay, I don't have this platform for these ideas anymore. I mean, there was always a place to put every idea that floated into my head. That was Serena and Lily. And without that platform or that kind of receptacle, like, okay, so what if I create my own line? What does that look like? Where do I sell it? How does that work? And so I did figure out the design showroom system. I have created a line of fabrics, 58 fabrics, 32 wallpapers, 37 maybe. Wow. And they're gorgeous. um, Thank you. Thank you. You know, it feels great. It feels like it's the essence of what I have to say. It's not polluted by, you know, how's it going to be used? And am I speaking the right way to our existing customer? And am I giving her everything that she wanted? And, you know, all these, these layers of consideration that I'm trained to apply to my work, I could remove all that and say, what is it that I feel like saying? And take a bit of what I have learned about merchandising and sales and apply that to the edit but really like leave it there. And uh, it has been an incredibly satisfying journey. I'm painting as well and really blending those two things. Well, I don't know about you, Kim, but I've been so inspired by your journey, what you had to learn, how you treated each other as partners and friends, how you walked away from the business and what you're using in your own companies now that probably a lot of it came from the learnings you guys had through your journey with Serena and Lily. Really, such a privilege to get to speak with you both. Thank you so much. It's fun to rehash. It's all good stuff. What a story. It does. It feels like destiny that you two came together for a very important reason on many, many levels. I just have to say that when Lily and I met, I was 30 years old. (laughs) 
I was just a little bitty baby. And uh, I think the Serena and Lily experience and the relationship with Lily and the journey that we took together in growing that brand was really incredibly foundational and formative for me. And every bit of what I am and what I know is the result of learnings accumulated over that time mm-hmm. and through that experience. That is so cool. It's shaped you so much professionally, personally. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your stories with us. All thank right. You. Thank you for having us. That's all for now. If you are inspired by this podcast, hop on over to InsideJourney.com for more episodes and to learn about our work with leaders and teams. And make sure to subscribe to InsideJourney.com so you never miss an episode. As Brene Brown wisely said, when we deny our stories, they define us. When we own our stories, we get to write a brave new ending. We couldn't agree more. Own your story. Love your story. Share your story. You never know who it can inspire. Thanks for tuning in. Can't wait for more juicy conversations with you next month.